Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And that sound you can hear is tumbleweed rolling across the studio. Kieran uh, Kieran is off with the flu, so you're just with me today. Um, this week, Luke Turner of The Quietest will be shaking the studio to its very foundations with his roundup of the latest noise. Plus, we'll be talking about what makes a good gig venue. And in Singles Club, we'll be saying yay or nay to tracks by Jaguar Mar, Trans and Idress. That's all on Music Weekly from The Guardian. So anyway, yeah, as I said, we are a woman down this week. Kieran's off with the flu. I'm not well either. Oh, I'm not feeling very well at all. But I've I've come into work. Some of us have a stronger work ethic than others. That's all I'm going to say. Um, stepping into the breach this week, uh, we have uh, Michael Han. Hello, Michael. Hello, Alexis. And we also have Tim Jones here. Hello, Tim. Hello. So, what have you two been up to this week? What exciting things can you tell me about the uh, your dalliances in the world of music? I've been to see Fleetwood Mac. How was that? That was excellent. Uh, well, not quite excellent. I think when they played in 2009. You didn't really mind that they weren't playing Christine's songs because they've got so many other great songs. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it really did miss her not being there for the full show. She did. Do she, one, but you saw her when she, she you saw the she show. Came, she yeah, she up. came on for one song, and it was great. What was the one her song? Voice sounds amazing, and she just looked really happy to be there. And the whole it just seemed like it was like a great moment. It was don't stop. I see that um, Stevie Nicks was saying that that Lynn, at the time Christine wanted to sing more, but. But Lindsay Buckingham said, no, if she's not in for the whole thing, we don't want any Is more Is that true? Of Apparently. I, I, I saw Fleetwood Mac on the Wednesday night, and um, it was a really enjoyable show, but it sagged so much in the last hour or so. Why it. did they do new stuff? But no, well, they did They did a Buckingham Nicks song okay. from 1974 that okay. they'd not played before, which wasn't that good. But they'd front-loaded the set so heavily. You know, they opened <laughs> with um, Secondhand News, The Chain and Dreams. And when you open with a threesome that strong, really, it's going to be down all the way, isn't it? Well, I know. No, no I know. I'm exaggerating. Alexis, you got, of course uh, I'm exaggerating. Big Love? You big, can, well, Big Love, they don't do as full yeah, band. Yeah, they do the acoustic. The acoustic oh, do wig out. Yeah, w- li- wig out? Well, yeah. he's, he is an amazing guitarist, it has to be said. Genuinely amazing. But um, he, he, does, uh, he does talk like he's um, been given his Between Songs banter in note form by his therapist. Oh, no, really? Oh, dear. So, but I mean, oh, and I suppose if you're missing all the Christy McVie stuff, because I was going to reel off a load of tracks from Tango in the Night, almost all of which are written by her. It's amazing how many she wrote. I mean, she... she basically kept that band kind of in hits. In songs. Um, but it's amazing that they can string out a two and a half hour show without it, her songs and it still be packed with hits. That's kind of just unbelievable, isn't it? Absolutely. No, that's amazing. Now, Michael, you've seen the Metallica film. I went to see the Metallica what film What is the morning. next... The new, I, I would have, if I was Metallica and I'd made some kind of monster... I would think long and hard about making another film. Well, I think the purpose behind this is, you know, when Metallica had been seen on film before, some kind of monster portrayed them as the uh, the adult, self-indulgent buffoons of rock, although fair play to them for actually putting it out. Then there was Mission to Lars, which was the not a Metallica product, of course, but featuring Metallica, positioning mm-hmm. them as the great, caring. the caring guys. And the new film, Metallica <coughs> Through the Never, repositions them as the mythic, Destroyers of Worlds. Really? Yeah, it's fundamentally a Metallica live show interspersed with this weird subplot in which a kid who's working back of house at the show gets sent off to find a broken down truck of the Metallica party. But the town in which the gig is taking place 
has turned into a Mad Max post-apocalyptic urban wasteland with rioters and no, strange men on this horses This is good. People don't, people don't make rock films like this anymore. It's, it's a bit Song Remains the Same. It's a bit Abba the Movie. <laughs> Directed by Lassie Halstrom, Ingmar Bergman's pupil. Really? Abba the Movie, not Metallica. Oh, right, I was going to say. Right, okay, well, there you go. Strong Bergman influence in, uh, in Abba the Movie. I quite like that. Someone's made some stupid film with a daft subplot. Well, actually, uh, for the person who's not the committed Metallica fan, and I quite I have Metallica records, but I am not the committed Metallica fan, it does give you an incentive to get through the songs that you're really not very interested in. Mm. Oh, I wonder what's happened to the kid. Yeah. Has, has the mad horseman with the gas mask knocked his head off yet? Wow. This sounds brilliant. This sounds like a proper stupid 70s rock film. This is, this is great. It sounds like Journey Through the Past or something. Imagine that's terrible. They're really boring. <laughs> and there's also the Metallica live show. Now, I need to check whether this is, happens in all Metallica live shows, but the, the show in the film ends in apparent chaos with a roadie catching fire and bits of the stage set collapsing and everything. I, I don't, don't know, think that happens that, in no, real life. Not deliberately. Obviously, they, a roadie doesn't. Oh, God, another one's <laughs> caught on fire. But I, I wonder if they stunt it. In each, I don't know. I have to look this up. Oh, I see what you mean. They have a sort of chaotic ending. Yeah. That's, that's, I don't reckon they do. Yeah, I, I, I think you'd have heard about it if, if a Metallica show ended with like the stage collapsing and a roadie catching fire and all that, and it happened every night. I think you'd have heard about it by now. Mm. I reckon they've just done it for this film. Anyway, well, that's all very interesting. Uh, let us move on. Put your earplugs in and maybe take an anticipatory aspirin. It's time now for Luke Turner of the Quietus to take his hearing in his hands to round up the month. In horrible noise. At The Quietus, we tend to like the extremes in life, whether strength of tea or music. And this month sees some releases from artists who've been giving an excellent sonic accompaniment to the demolition currently going on next door to our office. There's been an exciting blending of noise and techno lately, and these are some of the releases that we've been most excited about. The Downwards label, run by Carlo Connor, aka Regis, has been putting out slabs of punishing vinyl with austere artwork for the past two decades, something now being celebrated with a double LP 20th anniversary compilation. This features music that veers from gothic grandeur, such as newest act Oak, a cheeky yet murderous banger from Regis himself, an ambient piece by Anthony Child, and this piece of power station filth by Berlin-based artist Samuel Carriage, whose debut LP of Fallen Empire is also out on Downwards on November the 1st. This is Shadow Cast. On October 12th, Regis will be among the artists appearing at the third annual celebration of the Blackest Ever Black label, whose attention to detail on limited pressings by the likes of Rame and Black Rain often sees them sell out in hours. Forthcoming on Blackest Ever Black is a new EP from Cut Hands, a relatively new project by William Bennett of White House, one of the most provocative and controversial noise groups to emerge from the post-throbbing gristle British avant-garde. Bennett distanced himself from some of those actions in a recent blog post, and an interview has redefined what he does away from the simplistic definitions of what constitutes noise music. Cut Hands, inspired by and celebrating African rhythms, sees Bennett strip down and precision engineer minimal percussive stabs that I've seen have a dramatic, astonishing effect on nightclub crowds. This is perhaps unexpectedly joyous, celebratory music. 
This track is Dambala 58. Another artist upsetting a noise purist is Dominic Furnow, who runs the Hospital label, which also used to be a shop in New York where you could spend a princely sum on what Guardian writer Louis Patterson calls expensive static. Furnow records under aliases including Rainforest, Spiritual Enslavement, Prurient and Vatican Shadow. And over the past year or so he's focused largely on Vatican Shadow, a project of rough, abrasive dance noise with track titles that use war on terror slogans and headlines like Muscle Hijacker Tribal Affiliation to critique geopolitics in the world since the September 11th terrorist attacks. Remarkably enough for something so abrasive, 2013 has seen Vatican Shadow booked to play the Sonar Festival, London's Fabric Nightclub and Richie Horton's Enter Superclub and Brand in Ibiza. This track is not the son of Desert Storm. The worlds of techno and noise have their clearest, though dirtiest sounding, meeting via techno artist Ali Wells, who DJs and records under the name Perk. He's just launched a new imprint on his Perk Tracks label called Submit, the first release on which will be a collaboration between Perk and legendary German industrial group Einstürzende Neubauten. Wells, who's previously been remixed by Throbbing Gristle's Chris Carter, says that he wanted to create a fusion of Neubauten and his sounds, without making the functional techno versions of their tracks you might have expected. To do this, he used Neubauten's style dub edits of tracks from their 1981 debut album Collapse. Brace yourselves for one of the most enjoyably intense records you'll hear this year. This track is Luna Beast. And finally, arguments over what exactly constitutes noise and music have raged for years over academic papers and internet message boards alike. But essentially, a good racket is a good racket. Crossing the boundaries between sound art, noise and music is former Cabaret Voltaire member Chris Watson, who now works as a sound recordist for BBC Nature programmes, including Life on Earth, as well as releasing albums via the Touch label, taking a popular nature disco to music festivals and creating installations in venues including Kew Gardens. His latest installation is called Inside the Circle of Fire, a Sheffield sound map, and runs in the Steel City's Millennium Gallery until February 14, 2014. The sound map of the city was made by Watson as he followed the old rivers that run off the moors, were crucial in Sheffield's steel industry, and end up in a giant brick cavern under the railway station called the Megatron. On his sound map, trains rumbling overhead create a rhythm that might be a human heartbeat, or the bass in a nightclub down the road. In this particular recording from Sheffield Forge Masters, one of the still operating steel mills, machinery creates a surprisingly beautiful synth-like tone. 
so we'll leave you with Sheffield Forge Masters, industrial music in its purest form. That was Luke Turner of, ironically, The Quietus. Let's move on then with this week's Singles Club. First up is my choice. Uh, that's Jaguar Mar, Come Save Me, uh, the Andrew Weatherall remix of the same. Um, that's actually been knocking around on the internet since about August, but it appears to have actually come out as much as records do come out these days uh, uh, as a 12-inch, as a vinyl 12-inch single, one side of a vinyl 12-inch single. Um, I really like that, and the reason, one of the reasons I really like it is people went, well, Jaguar Mar, who obviously are a band uh, immersed in um, indie music of the early 90s, in quite a good way, I think. You know, um, listen to some quite good stuff. But they're, you know, clearly influenced by uh, people like Primal Scream and uh, Circus Scream and Delica and stuff like that. And they went, oh, well, you know, it's obvious to get Andy Weatherall in. And of course, what Andy Weatherall's done is not do a remix that sounds like a remix he would have done in 1991. He's done something quite sort of driving and motoric. And um, it's better than the original track, which is always a good thing. And leads me to wonder, again, if Jaguar Mar might not have been slightly better served by making an album a bit like Screamadelica that had remixes, you know what I mean? So where they step back from the I don't the understand why no other band has done that. Yeah, because it's not like it didn't work. It worked incredibly well for Primal Scream. I always thought it was that band that did Jump in the Pool and they, they were a kind of indie dance sort of thing. Friendly Fires. All right. I always thought their first album, all the remixes they got on the first Friendly Fires album were really good. There's a brilliant aeroplane one of Paris and stuff like that. And I thought if you put that out as your album, it's the same way that Primus can be brazenly put out, you know, orb remixes and weather remixes and stuck them all in them, make for a better record. Well, it requires a massive subsumation of your ego to do that, doesn't yeah. it, really? To say, actually, what we do is less important than what other people do to our music. I mean, because those records do sort of come out. They come out as bonus discs. Yeah, no, 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 I don't, mean, I don't mean I, I, it as I know you're saying put it out as the proper album I understand that so but the music does come out but uh, I mean remember reading all the stuff about Primal Scream in the wake of Scream and Delica and, mm-hmm. and we all read those interviews about Bobby Gillespie's immense discomfort with these records coming out that barely featured him and yeah. Primal Scream was him yeah so how could it not have Bobby Gillespie on it but yes it was great artistically for them and also it ended up being fantastic commercially for them it made their career or rescued their career mm. more specifically I mean, I guess Jaguar Ma might say that, uh, given that they're on an upsurge at the moment, why do they need to? No, no, no. I don't, I, I'm not saying that. they're not on an upsurge at the moment. All that kind the, of thing. The just, other thing is, when Primal Scream did it, they caught a real moment that was on yes. the rise. Whereas now, you know, it wouldn't be that interesting, would it? I don't think an album of. I don't know. I think it just would be because no one else has done it. I think if you just had the balls to, to I mean, this is more of a general point. I'm not saying yeah. Jaguar. I think okay. Jaguar Mark was pretty good, but um, I just, I just think it's a sort of interesting general point that no one else has ever gone down that path. That, you know, there's one album came out. 
pretty definitive era. Of def- and I appreciate what you're saying is it caught that sort of moment in time when remixes were as important, if not more important, than you know the actual band. Although I, th- re- I think remixes these days are certainly in the realms of what we loosely term indie music are more important than ever. I mean, certainly mm. more important than they were in Primal Scream's day, which is why Scream and Delica seemed so revolutionary, because no one else was doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so if you look at the conversation around Heim, which was, yeah, a lot of it was generated by things like the Dan Lisvik remixes of Falling, and mm-hmm. a, a lot of, uh, with a lot of these bands, it's it's the remixes that are catching attention early and building the buzz for when the eventual statement by the band comes out. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, anyway, look, come save me, the Andy. I don't ask you if you like this, by the way, either of you. Yeah, I, I can't really add much more to what you said because listening to it, I was thinking Andrew Weatherall, oh, indie band, doesn't often remind me of Primal Scream, even though it doesn't sound like Primal Scream, which is fundamentally exactly what you said, Alexis. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Tim, do you like it? Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Uh, Noel Gallagher's a big fan, isn't he, of the band? So, is he? And I thought it did sound quite similar to uh, that song he did with Chemical Setting Brothers. Sun. Yeah, Setting Sun. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. In the vocals, definitely. Interesting. Interesting, I hadn't thought about that at all. Um, well, there you go, Jaguar Mark Home Save Me, the Andy Weatherall remix. Um, you can find it on SoundCloud, uh, and if you are so inclined to uh, buy music on vinyl, there's a 12-inch single of it knocking around that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this, moving on, is Michael's Choice. Okay, that's Trans and Rocksteady, Michael's choice. Michael, tell us about Trans. Trans is the new band from Bernard Butler, um, formerly of Suede, and of course, McCalmonton Butler, the band that everyone talks about. Um, and of course, a solo artist in his own right. A solo artist, and let's not forget his reunion with Brett Anderson and the Tears. Should we go through the entire career of Bernard Butler? <laughs> uh, who's mainly been producing in recent years, of course, and that's him with Jackie McEwen of the 1990s. Um, I went to interview them the other day at Bernard Butler's studio, and he was telling me how the project came about which was basically the two of them just standing in the studio playing guitars in a control room and they've wow. got, they got 30 hours of music recorded that they're winnowing down to turn to songs they're going to be releasing it in a series of EPs they don't want to be doing singles or albums they're all about the EPs wow. now this is uh, by some distance the most kind of kraut rocky thing on their debut EP, um, Trans Red. Um, I put it to them that they were a drone group. They said, no, it's only the one song. Oh, no, I know, but it's the first song on the EP. Um, but what I think is great about it is to hear Bernard Butler cutting yes, loose on the guitar absolutely. again after a long time without. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the guitar playing on this is, I think, you know, really really incendiary, really exciting stuff. Um, but he's not doing it through the means of riffs. It's kind of these little bursts of solos, little bursts of improvisation. Mm. Uh, It's one of those records I find completely immersive. I've been listening to it a lot in the car, uh, slightly unsafe volumes, while only driving routes that I know back to front, so that I'm not in any danger of going Dropping the kids off at, you know, brownies. (laughs) Hitting the open road, like the Bruce Springsteen. Well, if there were any open road around North London to drive on, it would be amazing for that, because it just washes over you in this huge wave. I think it's really How does it feel when you're on your way to Waitrose? Well, it's usually Morrison's, I go to these days, and I can make the whole EP um, on the trip 
trip to Morrison's and back. Two right. tracks there, two tracks back. Okay. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, they're keeping it very low-key. Yeah, Bernard uh, and Jackie were both saying the whole point of it, they didn't want it to be heavily marketed, they didn't want it to be you know, a big billing, because they want it to be, as musicians of a certain age want to say, all about the music. They didn't mm. say man at the end of that, but they might as well have said Right, 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 right. right. Um, and I understand you know, the motivation behind that, because if they're not careful, everyone will be saying, oh, it's just Bernard Butler from Suede. Yeah, Whereas, yeah, of course, yeah. he was in Suede for basically 10 minutes at yep. the start of their career. I got the strong sense that a lot of the production jobs he did were not out of great love for the music that was being made in those records, and this is a way to do something he wanted to do to reinvigorate his love of music again. Interesting. I think it's really good. Um, Tim? Yeah, I did quite like it. Actually. When I kind of first heard Bernard Butler collaborating with 1990s on a kind of crap rock, <laughs> I can't say I was too excited, but uh, I think there's something quite playful about it that means it's not quite a, just a kind of replication of the past. They seem... It seems like he's really enjoying it. Yeah, 1990 is quite a playful band. Yeah, that's I think true, that's yeah. In, in you know, not not a band that ever really went on to do as well as people I think thought they were going to. But I actually really like the first 1990s album, and precisely for those reasons, lyrics are really funny and kind of yeah, yeah. And sleazy and all that kind of thing. And yeah, I think you're right. There's an element of that which you don't normally associate with Bernard Butler. Well, I don't. He doesn't. He, no, he doesn't make music that's you know, he's not barrel laughs. Well, he, he, yeah, Bernard Butler's never going to be making, you know, like denim records or something. <laughs> but I, I think as, as long as I, I, I so this sounds so silly, yeah, basing it on an hour's conversation with someone, but you get the impression that if he feels that what he personally is doing on the record is worthwhile, then it's fine for whatever else is happening. But that said, you know, Jackie McEwen is not playing his part of it for laughs either. You know, it's fundamentally, it's about the two of them playing guitars. Right. Okay. Two of them playing guitars in one room with a rhythm section in the other, and it's all improvised, you know. Are they going to play live? Are they going to play live? Are they gonna they, they had, they've done a couple of very low-key gigs. Um, the first of them was unannounced at the Macbeth, where Jackie McEwen said that they played to a hen party, <laughs> um, which must have been a shock, but apparently the hen party danced. Um, and then they played the Liverpool Festival Psychedelia over the weekend, mm. although uh, Bernard Butler said it was full of shoegaze bands and that's what he went into the music to destroy in the first place oh, right okay well fair enough um, this is out now Trans. actually out on Monday out on Monday okay well um, Trans read the first in a series of EPs by, by Trans uh, how, how many is this series I think it could be open ended fundamentally wow yeah as long as I can be able to carry on doing it amazing um, that's out uh, on Monday as Michael said on Rough Trade let's finally move on to Tim's Choice Nature Trips by Idress, about whom I know very little. Tim, that's your choice for this week. Uh, who are Idress? It is, uh, it's one guy, actually, 23-year-old. That's it, a man singing. It, uh, I don't know who's singing, actually. It might be a guest, because he's a very much a producer. But he's billed right. as the Philippines' answer to Beck. By, right. By, by, by the uh, guy who signed him, anyway. Uh, so, But I think less about the music of Beck, but more kind of... Maverick producer. Sure, type. sure, 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 sure. Uh, I, I've listened to quite a few of the uh, the tracks that he's done. And is it is he quite an eclectic producer? This representative um, well, to be, of the rest to be of his honest, work? to be honest, no. Uh, it all sounds quite like you know the Drive soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, kind but of college bit of a shit film, but 
<laughs> good, good, good set. Yeah, good everyone loves a real hero by college. It's yes, great exactly. Song. So it, a lot of the other stuff sounds even more like that. It's got that kind of vibe to it. Okay. So it's really good. Um, this apparently is about uh, taking his girlfriend on a date and then both nearly dying. Mm. On a hike. So uh, and it's got a quite. But the first line it says, "No one else needs to know about this." I think when you know that's the, what the song's about, it makes it quite mm. quite creepy. And because this kind creepy. of music kind of exists, doesn't it? On a kind of almost like that bit between states of consciousness so i think therefore it, it, you know it, it mimics the lyrics quite well i musically. like the idea of a song i think it's a good opening line for a song no one else needs to know about this automatically you want to hear what the rest of the it's a good line for a, thing. a book no one or else any needs story to know about it. it is absolutely um michael is even i cannot fail to have noticed that this style of music is a thing at the moment it's kind of a R&B strongly influenced by 80s pop but with kind of quite subdued modern electronic production underneath is there a genre name for this thing yet I don't know if there's a genre name for it it's been knocking around because that college a real hero by college came out in 2009 yeah I think. and I think I think the last to be honest if there's one criticism I'd make of this it is that it doesn't feel like it's pushing that no, style I, I, music I, too far the other way I think no, it's I kind of been around for a it's of sort of chill wave Sort of witch house, sort of chill sort wave, of witch house, sort, sort of, of indie R and B. Yeah. Um, no, I I felt that as well. I thought um, it's fair enough as a song, but part of me thinks I have got quite a lot of records like this already, whether they're by Washed Out or whether they're by College mm-hmm. or whether they're by um, Insert Name of you know some band called like Glowworm or something, like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Glowworm Beach or something. I like so for me, it reminded me of how much I like the Jesse Lanza record because I didn't think it was quite as good as the Jesse Lanza record. Mm-hmm. I think Jesse Lanza's trying to do something a little bit different to this. Yeah, a little bit, but I, I mean, I think fundamentally... It's more, yeah. I think actually Jesse Lanza's well, to, to more so, adventurous. To, to someone this. from the outside, which is me, mm-hmm. they're clearly working the same fields, it, just as if you said to someone who only listened to R&B, can you tell the difference between Razor Light and, you know, Palmer Violets? They'd mm-hmm. say, no, because they're exactly the same, aren't they? Absolutely. You know. yeah. Quite similar. Uh, this and Jesse Lanza are quite similar. Um, <laughs> I um, no, I think that's that's it, and I think this is where this band are going to struggle if all their stuff is sort of roughly along these lines. Well, I think what he might be worth keeping an eye on for is that he might go and work with other artists. I think that's which the, might be good. Yeah, um, and maybe he, he could the do the Jaguar Mar. He could. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he, he and he's from the Philippines. Yes, interesting. Um, and you said the person who signed him who's he been signed to? Abino. Okay, that's interesting because Abino have put a lot of sort of, you know, f- f- debut singles by yeah, and quite kind of hipstery but on the money stuff. Mm. Interesting. Okay, okay, that's Nature Trips by Idress. Um, not out until December, I believe, physically, as much as things come out physically these days. Um, but currently available on SoundCloud. That's Singles Club. <laughs> The Glasgow SSE Hydro Arena, the snappily named, the crisply named Glasgow SSE Hydro Arena, opened on Monday to good reviews, with Rod Stewart becoming the first act to headline. So we were wondering, what does make a gig venue good, or bad, or otherwise? You never hear that much about good gig venues, you always hear a lot about bad gig venues. So we thought we'd throw the question open to you lot. Um, what are your sort of favourite places to see gigs? What makes, in your opinion, a good gig venue? It's an interesting point. I don't know what makes. I, I know what makes a bad gig venue, but I don't know what makes. Well, a good I, th- gig I venue. think what's been interesting this year is that we've had two big city arenas open, both to pretty good write-ups. This one and the first direct arena in Leeds, which have both been built with gigs in mind, right. rather than being venues that were built for the horse of the year show yeah. or general what have you. 
they've been built specifically you know to make the gig going experience um a better thing. But would they be any good for Horse of the Year? Will the Horse that of the Year people be grumbling now? That <laughs> well, got uh, somewhere on the, the Guardian, Guardian Horse Weekly podcast. <laughs> 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 well, I've not been to the Glasgow one, but I went to the Leeds one in the summer. I went to the opening night of that. And I don't think it'd be very good for show jumping, I must be honest. And that was a great disappointment to me. But yeah, Because ter- you'd come on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> in, ter- in terms of watching gigs, you know, this was a big venue, and it's 12,000 capacity, in which the distance from the very back row to the stage is like 30 metres sm- shorter than at the, the mega venues in London, the O2 or Wembley Arena. So how have they done that? goes up steeply, and the, um, it's, it's a wide Right. seating bank rather it doesn't surround stage it all faces the stage but in a wide arc okay but I mean and, and the O2 also I think revolutionised the way that people think about big venue gigs in yep. Britain because I, for Fleetwood Mac for the first time I was on the top tier um, outrageous I know and I can sense the sympathy pouring off our listeners um, <laughs> since I'm usually in the good blocks on the first tier but even from the, the, the top tier uh, towards the back of the auditorium yeah they look like little Pinheads on the stage, but the sound was still terrific. You know, miles better than it ever is at Wembley Arena. And I think certainly for big venues, um, you know, good sound is the absolutely crucial thing because so many of them, just the echo, the bouncing around the arena. We've all had the experience at Wembley where you're hearing two or three different bands at once because of the mm. way the sound's bouncing around the room. Although equally, I'd say good sound is increasingly important in small rooms as well. I mean, the Lexington in London has a really good sound system which makes going to see bands there an absolute pleasure. Okay, I've never been to Lexington. It's it's a nice room. It's a nice room. They have a good range of beer downstairs as well, which for small venues is also, I think, actually does matter. And whiskies. And whiskies. And whiskies. Expensive, but good. Ponzi London. No, it's not. It's not. Wanting good beer, wanting something (laughs) nice to drink at a gig rather than a warm can of Red Stripe is not being Ponzi. I think it's... it's, uh, Says the man who lives in Brighton. Well, no, there's no... But, I mean, you don't... Weirdly, the thing that Brighton doesn't have... Brighton has loads and loads of venues. Um, but it doesn't have a sort of specifically built something like the Lexington that's clearly been put together with music in in mind. The sort of there's the Haunt, which is the sort of I suppose the hipster venue of Brighton. It's a terribly shaped room, which that, is a isn't bizarrely it? shaped, it's like a sort of L-shaped room with the stage at that part of the and you know very odd uh, place to see. Brighton specialises in places where you can't see the bands. You can't really see them at the Haunt. Uh, you certainly can't see them at Audio. Um, because there's barely any stage at all at audio. Um, so I don't think it's got... Concord 2 is probably the best venue in Brighton, actually. The I'm, challenge, I think, is making those big venues good because, you know, the Brighton Centre, which is the big sort of arena-sized, sort of vaguely arena-sized venue in Brighton, is utterly without character, and it's like watching the gig in the school gym. Whereas the O2, for all you might go, oh, corporate branding, da-da-da, and all that kind of thing, is actually a quite pleasant environment to see gigs in. Um, you know, the sound's good. Um, the sight lines are good, sight crucially. lines are good, crucially, all that kind of malarkey. You know, it sort of gets past the fact that it's a bit charmless. I know Brixton Academy often wins venue of the year, you know, in NME polls and something, but that is a horrific venue, I think. I don't mind Brixton. I, 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 maybe I'm the only person in the world who dislikes it. I, it, it and Hammersmith Odeon, I find the, the, the kind of the twin venues. The, the good thing about both of them is the raked floors. I mean, that's that's yeah. the sole big advantage to those two rooms. I just think gig venues in general are terrible, terrible places, and <laughs> and that that's just kind of part of the charm. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just think they're all. Maybe you awful. shouldn't make. Maybe there's a point here. Maybe you shouldn't make gig venues too uh, too pleasant because it's it's important to work 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you, you value something that you work yeah, for a I, bit I, more. I'm, I'm not if calling for leather sofas and uh, footrests and waitress service. I think if anything. it's a big venue, you want it, you want it nice, you want it plush because you're never going to have that intimate atmosphere. But when and when, also because you're paying so thing. much money, yeah. it's like eighty. Those tickets flew with out like eighty-one quid yeah. or something like that. I mean, it's nuts. The one thing I would say about those big venues is don't serve food. There's nothing, or if you do, don't let people bring it into the auditorium. I hate it when I'm <laughs> sitting next, sitting watching a band next to someone eating a pizza. I like yeah. it when I'm sat next to loads of hungry people. I love it. What, just generally? <laughs> <laughs> Whether or not they're eating, you just have, are you hungry? Yes, brilliant! I just want to ban food. Sure. <laughs> I don't think you necessarily need to ban food. I don't know what, this has become like... Um, yeah, I'm, I, 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 Jones on. I, I, I do get quite prescriptive about what I think is acceptable behaviour at gigs. I know this. Um, it's my problem. iPads. People filming on oh, iPads. Oh, don't film on an iPad. But we're getting away slightly away from the point of the venues. The Roundhouse. The Roundhouse. I like the Roundhouse. Round a lot. Good That's thing. a great venue. That's not um, overly uh, poncy in the. It's not this sort of weird. You know, hinterland that you two seem to want to have. No, my <laughs> and the, the Roundhouse Manchester is a terrific venue, despite having loads of what should be terrible logistical problems mm. with it. But I, what I was trying to say is, I think the best venues, well, my favourite venues, always just the most awful ones, like the Charlotte in Leicester and stuff like that, just because it's your memories. And yeah. also, the worse and scummier it is when you're young, the, the better it seems. I guess so. You want to be also. That's the other thing is you do want. I remember going to when I was a youth. Going to gigs, and you felt like you were being sort of transported into a slightly different yeah, world. Like that was, the, it wasn't yeah. like you some anything you saw on the telly. It was kind of you know your feet stuck to the floor and all this kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you still get that? There's still venues like that. I don't know. The, well, in London, the Dublin Castle still exists, but not a lot of bands you'd actually want to see play there. The Barfly still exists, but ditto. The Bull and Gate, which was the great sticky floored venue, that's gone, isn't it? Has, has gone completely now. The Bull and Gate, actually, the sad thing about that is that in the last few years of existence, it was a pretty good place to see bands because they they got a really good sound system in there right. as well. I mean, uh, to improve pub venue because we've all been to those gigs in pub venues where they're playing through you know a couple of tiny speakers on sticks at the side <laughs> of the stage, and it's awful. But when pub venues invest in good sound systems, I think they become absolutely the best place to see bands. Because, again, I, I talked about a record feeling immersive then, but when you're in a, a room like that, surrounded by the sound, completely immersed in the gig, I think that's a fantastic feeling. It's an interesting idea what, what people want out of gigs if people go there now. To have a slight, you know, if people's expectations of the venue are higher than they used to be, because never really used to always sort of talk about sound and stuff like that. I never really used to sort of bother me back in the day. I'd be intrigued to know, because this is a very... Um, you know, southeast centric uh, conversation. I'd be intrigued to know what the really good venues are outside of uh, South East because uh, you tend to get sent. I mean, you do one does get sent around the country to review gigs, but it always tends to be the big gigs that you get sent to do. So one tends to go to arena venues around the country, which are much of a muchness. Um, well, there are kind of venues around the country that do have kind of very go-ahead view of things. I, mean, I always hear a lot about the Brudenell in Leeds, which okay. I was at university in Leeds, and the Brudenell, I think it was a, a cruddy pub then. But now it's uh, been transformed into a really fantastic venue with a good booking policy, by all accounts very friendly and helpful management, and a great place to watch bands, and a place where bands like to play as well. Okay. I mean, that's, of course, the other thing. You can usually tell a good venue by the fact that bands want to play there. I suppose so. Yeah. No, it's 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 an interesting thing. So it's we're going to throw this open to you, people. What do you think makes a good venue? What are your favourite places to see bands? Particularly if you're not from London, I would like we would like yeah. to hear. Uh, you know, the further out in the sticks you are, 
and you know the further out than six you are probably the more you have to travel to find a venue um, what matters to you or doesn't it bother you at all and if you're really out in the sticks and you're listening to this and you go to gigs is it just the fact that a band is playing nearby you know I used to go to see uh, a lot of bands in uh, the back room of a pub in Wendover uh, the reaction club it was eventually closed because they had strippers on a Sunday and they didn't have a license for them um, I saw Heavenly imagine that um, but so you know that didn't bother me this was kind of a rubbishy sort of venue and da 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 it was just the fact that somebody anybody had come to play near where I lived Anyway, well, I'm not, you know where to go, guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly. Leave your thoughts. We'll talk more about this next week. Uh, that's it for this week. Thanks to Luke Turner. Also to Tim Jones. Thank you. And Michael Hand. Thank you, Alexis. Um, as I said, check out guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for more information on the show. We will see you back at full strength next week. Bye bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.